Let's turn in the Holy Scriptures to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We will read verses 1 through 25 in connection with Lord's Day 38. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very images, or the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, To do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and burnt and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering, oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, 
as ye see the day approaching. We end our scripture reading at that point. We turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 38. Question 103. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Beloved in the Lord, the Sabbath day is a day of blessed rest. God has set aside one day in seven for blessed rest. That is what we looked at last week when we began our consideration of Lord's Day 38. We looked at the Sabbath day and the continuance of the requirement in the New Testament that we keep the Sabbath day and rest on the Sabbath day, which for us is Sunday. Sunday has been consecrated as the New Testament Sabbath by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thus, we keep the Sabbath on Sunday and we rest. We saw that Sabbath rest consists especially of two things. It consists of ceasing from our works, that in the first place, but that in order that we may enter into the enjoyment of God's finished work for us in Jesus Christ. But now, Having looked at what the Sabbath day is and what its rest consists of, now we turn and look more closely at what the catechism focuses on. The catechism assumes that theology of the Sabbath and preoccupies itself instead with the question, how do we keep the Sabbath day? That is, how do we rest on the Sabbath day? And... Answer 103 gives us a concise yet comprehensive explanation of how we rest. Lord's Day 38 then is instruction that is practical, it's important, it's not dry. It's instruction about how to rest well. And isn't that a subject we should want to hear? Learning how to rest well and how to rest better on the Lord's Day but also throughout the other days of the week. How do we rest on the Sabbath day? Answer 103 sets before us the reality that Sabbath rest is not idleness. It's not entertainment all by itself. It's not purely physical rest, though that is a part of it. There is physical rest on the Sabbath day. We saw last time that God has given us the Sabbath day to refresh us, not just spiritually, but physically. The Sabbath day is given by the Lord of the Sabbath for the whole man, 
But we rest especially on the Sabbath day by engaging in the spiritual activities that God has appointed for this day that he has set aside for rest. And those spiritual activities are set before us and explained in the question and answer before us. These things are not mere duties. We approach these things with the words of Psalm 122 on our lips. We're glad. We're glad to come to God's house. We're joyful to engage in these spiritual activities. Even though they require some spiritual concentration, there is work involved, spiritual work, yet they are refreshing. Rest. True spiritual rest. The Lord's Day 38 also explains another set of things. You notice that the question is divided into two parts. The first part focuses on what we do on Sunday, what we are called to do on Sunday, public worship. But then the second part calls our attention to the rest of the week. Keeping the Sabbath concerns both. The fourth commandment has something to say about the other days of the week. Not only that we labor faithfully those six other days, but also that we carry the rest of the Sabbath day throughout the week. Really at the heart of ceasing from our work is ceasing from our evil works, as the Catechism points out. Sabbath rest is ceasing from sin, resting in Christ, and more and more yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit that He might sanctify us, that we might grow in grace, and that we might bring forth fruits of thankfulness unto Him. And so we're going to look at those two parts of Sabbath rest, how we keep the Sabbath. Two parts laid out in the Catechism. And so we take the Lord's Day's own division and we make it the divisions of the sermon. The theme is keeping the Sabbath day, how we rest on Sunday. And we'll look at two things. The main concept in the first part is this, faithfully attending worship. That's how we rest on Sunday. But then the Sabbath carries over into the rest of the days of the week. And so the second point is daily living out that Sabbath rest. The Sabbath day is a day that God has set aside for rest. And the chief spiritual activity that God has appointed in which we rest is congregational worship. We rest on the Sabbath day by diligently frequenting the church of God, as the Catechism says. This teaching of the Catechism is biblical. That the Sabbath day is kept by faithful attendance of public worship is firmly established by Scripture. Let's look at a couple of passages a moment. First, in the Old Testament. God, in the Old Testament, linked the keeping of the Sabbath day with attendance at the public gathering of the congregation of Israel for worship. This link between keeping the Sabbath and Attending public worship comes out in Leviticus 23, verse 3. We'll note a couple things about this verse. Leviticus 23, verse 3. There the word of God says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest. There's what the Sabbath is all about, rest. And holy... Convocation. 
Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Notice, Leviticus 23, verse 3, defines the Sabbath of rest as an holy convocation. And a convocation means an assembly, a gathering together. And it's a holy gathering together because it is a gathering together for the purpose of worshiping the holy God. And that sets before us the truth that the primary way that the Sabbath is kept is by attending the public worship of God. That's what the Sabbath day is for. It's a day for an holy convocation. But notice Leviticus 23 verse 3 also stresses the fact that the Sabbath is a day of rest. We are resting not only when we attend that holy convocation of God's people, but the verse goes on to say, it is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings, in your homes. The Sabbath is to be observed not only in this building, not only in this sanctuary on this particular day, but on Sunday when we go home after church. We still observe the Sabbath in our dwellings by resting. That's the Sabbath day. And this Old Testament teaching is carried into the New Testament. Luke 4 verse 16. There we read that it was Jesus' custom, his ordinary practice, that he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus observed the Sabbath by attending public worship. And thus we come to Hebrews 10, verse 25, our scripture reading. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And the positive of that is, faithfully attend the assemblies of God's people. Now, Hebrews 10 is talking about more than just a church service. It's talking about the different assemblies that God's people have. It's laying out the general truth that God's people should be a people who assemble. We're not spiritual hermits living our own lives disconnected from each other. But we are a body and a body needs to be together. A body assembles to do things together. But at the heart of that, of course, is the public assembly for the worship of God. That's keeping the Sabbath day. God has set the Sabbath day aside for public worship. Having firmly established that teaching of the catechism, Upon the rock of scriptures, let's go a little deeper into then this way that we rest on the Sabbath day. We keep the Sabbath day by faithfully attending worship, coming to church and participating in the worship service from the heart and with the understanding that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God. That's the language of the catechism. Diligently frequent the church of God. That language is instructive. It tells us what sort of attitude and approach we should have to the Sabbath day and to the attendance of public worship. The spiritually healthy attitude is not one of hit or miss service attendance or one that is dictated by how I feel today, but is one that may be described as diligent 
frequenting. To frequent means to come often. You frequent something, you go there often. But the, the idea is even stronger than that. It means to come with such regularity that you make a well-worn path. There's the word picture we can think about. Frequenting means making a well-worn path. For the Christian, there should be a well-worn path from our house to this house of prayer. A well-worn path. Think about a dairy farm, perhaps, as an illustration. You have the farmhouse, and you have the barn a little ways away on the property where the cows are kept, and there's a well-worn dirt path between the farmhouse and the barn. And the grass doesn't grow on that path because there's constant traffic back and forth of boots, the farmer's boots as he goes back and forth between the farmhouse and the barn. Even at the early hours of the morning because He must diligently frequent the barn to ensure that the cows are milked, that the cows are cared for. There's that well-worn path from his house to the barn. That's the idea of diligently frequenting. Now to apply that illustration spiritually, should be a well-worn path from the house, residence of every Christian. To the church of God. Because we go often. Regularly. At every opportunity. Diligently frequent. That's the mindset behind frequenting. When you're diligent in some task. It means you're interested in it. You give it your full attention. You exert yourself in that task. Because it's important. When you're diligent, you're you're not satisfied with a sloppily done job. You're attentive. You're attentive. Dairy farmer is diligent. He wakes up before the crack of dawn every morning to go to the barn to milk those cows. Some mornings he probably really doesn't feel like it. He's tired, but he's diligent. He must do it. The weakness of that illustration is that it's just his duty. He has to do it if he's going to make money. It shouldn't be that way for the child of God. It's not a mere obligation to diligently frequent the church of God. But rather it's something that arises from the love of the child of God. For his God, for his Savior, for Jesus Christ. What he's done for me. Giving me rest. Rest from my sins. Salvation. And now he's appointed this place and this worship as place of rest. I want to be there. I want to be there. I'm diligent in being there. Diligently frequenting the house of God in love. Because this place isn't just a barn. This gathering isn't just an obligation. Go back to the second commandment when we looked at worship and looked at what worship really is. What is worship? It's God Meeting his people in a special way. Worship is an integral part of the life of the covenant of grace. Through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
He has redeemed you from sin and death and brought you into the bond of His covenant so that you might have fellowship with Him. And here in worship, God meets you and He says, Come to me, my people. Speak to me. I speak to you. Fellowship with me as I fellowship with you. That's what worship is. We come here to gather and meet with our spiritual family, our fellow saints, the co-heirs of the grace of life. That's rest. It's a place you want to be. So the diligent frequenting of the house of God means faithful attendance both in body and in heart. Every wife knows when her husband is there, but not really there. He's occupying the chair, but his mind is way off somewhere else. We can be like that with God sometimes, can't we? Go through the motions, have to occupy a chair, but we're not really here. Diligent frequenting of the church of God means all of you frequents the church. All of you is in the worship service. Not just your body, but your mind too, with the understanding, with the heart. That's where the spiritual work of the Sabbath comes in. It's rest. But rest doesn't mean idleness. There's concentration that's involved in hearing the word and listening to a sermon. It takes work. It does. Singing with understanding. Uniting your heart with Your fellow saints, as the minister prays the congregational prayer, which isn't his prayer, but the prayer of the whole congregation, it takes concentration, it takes work. But that's rest. That's rest. Diligently frequenting the church of God, body, heart, mind, all of us, all of us. That's how we rest on the Sabbath day. Meeting God's people here. Meeting with God himself. Here, resting and abiding. Sweet communion, Lord, with thee. That's Sabbath rest. But now, to narrow our focus a little more, we keep the fourth commandment by faithfully attending the worship of the church. That's how we rest. But that worship of the church consists of those elements of worship that we've looked at. Those are the particular activities that constitute Sabbath rest. That's why the Catechism says that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God. And it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there, right? Just be in church. But I diligently diligently frequent the church of God in order to hear his word. To use the sacraments. To publicly call upon the Lord. To contribute to the relief of the poor. We diligently frequent the church of God in order that we may diligently engage the whole of our being in those activities which are rest, spiritual rest. We're familiar with these elements of worship. We looked at them in some detail when we considered the second commandment. So we're not going to go through them in detail and explain them. We've already done that. But we're going to note how each of these things 
is rest. That's what Lord's Day 38 brings out. These elements of worship, they are rest. Hearing God's word and using the sacraments. Those two go together, of course, because as we know, the sacraments are the word of God in visible form. They are the visual aids to the proclamation of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel proclaims God's word. The whole counsel of God at the center of which is the good tidings of great joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. And the sacraments are the visible signs and seals of that gospel which alongside the preaching confirm and strengthen our faith. So these two go together. Worship involves the hearing of God's word and the using of the sacraments. And the hearing of God's word and the using of the sacraments is spiritual rest. Hearing God's word doesn't mean simply listening to it read. But it means giving diligent attendance to the reading and the explanation of that reading in the preaching of the gospel. Listening with understanding, taking that word into the heart, meditating upon it, receiving not only the applications that are made from the pulpit, but pondering that word and applying it to myself and my own circumstances, my own life. That's hearing, hearing with the ears of faith. See, one of the main ways that our souls feed is through the ears. The soul feeds through the ears, through the hearing of God's word. And that spiritual feeding is part of our Sabbath rest. And so we understand then that the hearing of God's word is at the center of Sabbath rest. Why that is, is self-evident. In the reading and proclamation of the scriptures, God himself speaks through A mouthpiece. It's not the mouthpiece that feeds. Mouthpiece is just an instrument. It's God's voice that feeds and strengthens us and gives us rest. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that's the source of all true rest and peace. The good tidings of great joy that God has given His only begotten Son to the death of the cross to pay for the sins of His chosen people, to pay for your sins, believer, so that you have eternal redemption, everlasting righteousness, and eternal life. That's the good news that brings peace, that gives rest, rest to the soul. With the hearing of this word, the good shepherd feeds his sheep. When we hear God's word, when we hear God's word, he maketh you to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth you beside the still waters, imparting his peace. Refreshing you with the rest that comes only through the finished work of Christ, the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. Even when the word rebukes us, it brings rest. Yes, even then, 
Even when the word is hard to hear. Even when the word pricks us. Even when the word uncovers that area of sin in my life. Even when the word humbles me to the dust. It brings rest. Because true rest isn't just ceasing from earthly labor or even the toil associated with earthly labor. But true rest involves ceasing from sin. Sin robs us of rest. Sin robs us of peace. When the word shows us our sin, rebukes us, works repentance, turns us from sin, that's God giving us rest. There's no rest beside the putrid stream of sin and its pleasures. There's rest by the still waters. God's gospel leads us to, causes us to lie down beside. So Sabbath rest is diligently frequenting the church of God that we may diligently give ourselves to the hearing of the reading and the proclamation of the scriptures confirmed by the use of the sacraments. Catechism goes on publicly to call upon the name of the Lord. This belongs to Sabbath rest as well. This element of worship, which we understand is really two, refers both to prayer and to singing. What is prayer and singing? It's covenant conversation with God. That's what it is. It's talking to God. It's bringing forth the overflow of our souls to God. It's telling him of our love, our thanks, our cares, confessing our sins, fleeing to him for refuge, casting our cares upon him, looking unto him for the provision of all of our needs in childlike trust and childlike love. Prayer and the singing of the psalms the heart speech of the covenant child of God. It's covenant conversation with our Father. It's part of worship. It's part of rest. And that makes sense from an earthly point of view. When we go home and we have our, our Sunday dinner, which in our tradition for many of us is a, is a larger meal, the family gathers around that table, there's rest there as we talk with one another. Sabbath rest. Part of it is talking with God as a spiritual family in prayer and in song. Then the catechism finishes up its brief summary of the elements of worship, the elements of Sabbath rest, by referring to the giving of offerings, particularly contributing to the relief of the poor. There's an important reminder again for us that the giving of our offerings isn't an intermission in the divine worship service. It's not simply something we have to do to keep the church running, but it is as much an element of worship as all the other things in Lord's Day 38. When we give our offerings, we worship God. It is a direct act of worship. That's how we should see it. Now, we worship God by giving to the kingdom causes, all of the different kingdom causes represented in the general fund. But, The Catechism especially calls our attention to the relief of the poor, charity, or benevolence as we call it. 
Children, maybe you read benevolence in the bulletin every Sunday morning and you wonder what that word means. Benevolence simply means goodwill, kindness, or mercy to those in need. That's what the benevolence fund is for. It is money set aside for charity to help those in need, whether it be financial need, whether it be need on account of sickness, whatever it may be, charity. That's part of worship. Contributing to the relief of the poor is part of Sabbath rest. Jesus is our example here. You read through the Gospels, and isn't it striking how many times Jesus heals on the Sabbath day? That's not an accident. Jesus saw the Sabbath day as the perfect day to work such healing, to do acts of mercy. After all, his healing pictures the greatest act of mercy, the greatest act of charity, the spiritual healing that he would give to us needy sinners through his work upon the cross and through his victorious resurrection. There's the greatest work of mercy, which all of Jesus' healing miracles picture. But now, on the Sabbath day, it is fitting. It becomes a Christian who follows in the footsteps of the Master to contribute to the relief of the poor, to give charitably. That's an act of worship. One of the ways we worship and honor God is by loving the brother. We love God by loving the brother. And contributing to the relief of the poor is an act of love for the brother and for God. Think of Matthew 25 verse 40. Where Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now to finish up, first point, let's make some applications. An application can be made in the form, first, of an exhortation, and then secondly, in the form of encouragement. And the exhortation is one of self-examination. We're called to examine ourselves by Hebrews 10 and by Lord's Day 38. Do I diligently frequent the church of God? Does my family diligently frequent the church of God? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, and that indicates that in the Jewish church to which the author of the book of Hebrews writes, there was a problem. And a problem in that church was that there were some who were neglecting the public assemblies of the church as the manner of some is. And that word manner can be translated habit. They had developed a habit of laxity rather than diligent frequenting, laxity in the attendance of the public worship services of the church. And the Apostle Paul exhorts the Jewish Christians, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And we have to understand that forsaking the assembling of ourselves together 
doesn't merely refer to leaving the church altogether, not coming to worship services at all, but forsaking the assembling of ourselves together often takes this form of willingly keeping myself from the worship service when I am actually able to attend. Willingly keeping myself from it, not because of necessity, not because something in God's providence keeps me, but because for this reason or that, I'd rather not be there today. That's forsaking the assembly of God's people. Now, of course, there are things that can legitimately keep us from coming to church. Health issues. Many aged saints and shut-ins have physical infirmities that prevent them from coming. They would be the first to tell you they wish they could come, but the season of life they're in, God's providence has made them unable to come. There may be sickness in the family or sickness among the children that has to be taken care of that necessitates one staying home for a service. We, We understand that. Nothing being said here denies that reality. Nor is it wrong from time to time to be out of state and to visit family or to go on vacation. But the point of the text is we as God's people must make every effort to be in the public worship services of the church morning and evening because we delight to be there in the assemblies of God's people. And so the exhortation is to examine ourselves. Is that our heart attitude? Do we do everything in our power to come? Or are we too quick or ready to welcome excuses not to come? Are we too easily satisfied with once a Sunday? Too easily satisfied, well... We'll just turn on the live stream. That's that's a useful tool. It is. We can be thankful for it. But we mustn't misuse it such that it becomes something we quickly fall back on if, well, we're just a little behind this morning, so well, let's just turn on live stream rather than come. Let's examine ourselves. Does diligent frequenting characterize our view of the Sabbath or Are we developing a habit of forsaking the assembly of God's people? Ultimately, it comes down to the heart. Each and every child of God is called by the fourth commandment to examine his heart. Do I yearn? Do I yearn to meet God and meet with his people in the gathered congregation morning and evening? Do I yearn for that? such that I do my utmost to be there. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? Let the fourth commandment, let Hebrews 10, let Lord's Day 38, built upon those passages of Scripture, send that exhortation into our hearts, that we by faith receive it and say, yes, I want to diligently frequent the house of God. So that indeed, there is a well-worn path from my door to God's house of prayer.
but an application by way of encouragement too. Encouragement in this. That faithful attendance of the worship of God is a means by which God is glorified. And a means that he uses to richly edify us. Let's see that positive. Though Hebrews 10 verse 25 is cast in the negative. There's positive there. Faithfully attend the worship of the church because God wants you to. Think about it that way. Not just because it's an obligation. Not just because the elders are watching attendance. Not just because there's a sermon that we heard that pricked our consciences. But my God wants me to be here. Because he has redeemed me unto his fellowship. And he delights when I gather with his people. When I come and praise him in song and prayer. When I am in the gathered congregation and meet him there. God delights in the gathering of his spiritual family. This is part of the life of the covenant. Do you want to miss out on that? Encouragement. Then also, our own need to assemble. We need to. Not just because we need the means of grace. That's very important. We need the means of grace, which are the chief tools God uses to strengthen our faith. But because we also need the communion of the saints, do we not? Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 bring that out as well. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching, we're called to consider one another, to exhort one another, to comfort one another. And that requires that we be together. That we be together. That we come together for worship. Not only that, that we assemble together for the other functions of the church, the Bible study societies, other things like that. We need to be together thinking about each other, exhorting one another, bringing the word to one another. There is to be a covenantal togetherness in the church. A congregation is not like a company where everybody comes at a stated time to do their work and goes home. And that's the extent of your interactions. Only that which you have to have. Church isn't a company. It's a family. Nor is the worship The congregational worship of the church like a concert where you go and fill a seat, but it doesn't matter if you're there. If you're not there, somebody else will fill your seat. No, it's a body. And the body needs all of its parts. And the body suffers when parts of it are continually not there. So the church is not a company. The worship service is not like a concert. There is to be a togetherness in the church of God. Fourth commandment encourages us unto that. Hebrews 10 encourages us unto that. But now we finish up by looking at daily living out the Sabbath and its rest. As stated in the introduction, keeping the Sabbath day involves more than what we do and are called to do on Sunday. We must never think that the fourth commandment requires merely that I cease my daily work on Sunday and go to church on Sunday and keep that whole day. But then 
Everything else is up to me to do as I please. Not so. There's an old saying that the Sabbath is desecrated most on every other day of the week. And there is a kernel of truth in that old saying when God's people have a wrong mentality or a wrong understanding and they limit the keeping of the Sabbath day just to what you do on Sunday. There's more to it. We saw last week, keeping the Sabbath day implies that you work faithfully and you're calling the six other days of the week. But there's more to be said. Keeping the Sabbath day means also that we carry the Sabbath rest with us into the six other days of the week. And that's what the second half of Lord's Day 38 addresses. The Catechism lays out a second and equally important part of keeping the Sabbath. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works, and yield myself to the Lord to work by his Holy Spirit in me, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Sabbath rest isn't just ceasing from our ordinary work on Sunday. More fundamentally, it's ceasing from the works of my flesh. On Sunday, yes, but also on every day. On the six work days, as I go about my work, as I go about my calling, I am to diligently cease from the work of my flesh. That is, the works of the old man, my evil works, sin. And through the power of Christ, I cease my evil works, that I may devote myself to the service of God and the glory of His name in all that I do. That's carrying the rest of the Sabbath into the six workdays. It's daily living out Sabbath rest. It's resting from sin every day. Resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. Yielding myself to the work of the Spirit in me every day so that there's not spiritual activity just confined to Sunday and then the rest of the week is carnal activity. No, my whole life is worship. My whole life is marked by Sabbath rest. Living out that rest means daily repentance. That's yielding oneself to the work of the Spirit As the Spirit convicts us of sin by the word of God, we turn from it and turn to God in true sorrow. Turn to Him in joy, the joy of our salvation. Daily repentance, daily devoting ourselves to God, daily meditating upon His word, daily serving Him, daily walking with Him in prayer. The Sabbath is the Christian's lifestyle. Live out Sabbath rest so that the worship of Sunday the rest that we have on this day has a sanctifying effect on the rest of the week. In this way, the Catechism says we begin the eternal Sabbath. The eternal Sabbath refers to the life of glory in the new heavens and the new earth, that which is to come. But we have the beginning of it already now because we have the new life of Christ in us. We are new creatures in Christ. We are risen with him. Unto newness of life. The fullness is yet to come. 
That will be glory in the new heavens and the new earth. Complete cessation of all sin. Complete rest in God's finished work. Complete enjoyment of that finished work. That's to come, but we have the beginning of it now. As we rest, live out that rest each day. Now, here at the end, I want to come back to where Lord's Day 38 began. With a particular aspect of keeping the Sabbath. Now we jump up to the very first line of the question and answer that we passed by. First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained. And I include that here because that's not something we just do on Sunday. But that's something we do every day. It's part of the daily living out of the Sabbath rest. We we do that on Sunday when we give offerings for the schools or in support of the ministry of the gospel. But it's not just that. There's much more to it. Now, we might wonder why the Catechism mentions this in the first place. Isn't it rather remote from the Fourth Commandment? After all, the Fourth Commandment doesn't mention the ministry of the gospel. It doesn't mention any schools. And perhaps we've read the text in the margin of the Catechism and say, none of those really talk about schools either. Is it a stretch? Well, the Catechism in including this right at the beginning is not stretching things, but reveals the depth of understanding that our Reformed forefathers had of the principle of the fourth commandment. And the principle which is articulated here is that the fourth commandment is honored also in this way. When we support and maintain those things which are essential for Sabbath rest, when we promote those things which are needed for Sabbath rest. And then we understand why the ministry of the gospel and the schools are mentioned here. Those two institutions directly contribute to the rest of the Sabbath day. They are indispensable for Sabbath rest. We see that most clearly with the ministry of the gospel. The ministry of the gospel is the office that Christ has put in the church. It's the means he's pleased to use to proclaim the gospel of rest. It's at the center of Sabbath rest. And so we honor the fourth commandment not only when we support the gospel ministry, but when we support the work of missions, the sending forth of heralds of rest to the ends of the world for the ingathering of God's people. We also honor the fourth commandment by supporting and maintaining the schools. Now, the catechism here is first of all talking about the theological schools. That's the connection. The gospel ministry and the schools in which the gospel ministers are trained. The church ought to maintain its own theological school, its own seminary. Our seminary is a gift of God. It's a beautiful gift of God. It's a seminary that's entirely maintained by the churches. So much so that those who enter into the gospel ministry in our churches don't have any tuition to pay when they go through our theological school. And that on account of the generous giving of the churches in support of the seminary. You might not think of it, but that's honoring. That's honoring the fourth commandment as God's people support and maintain that institution which is so important for Sabbath rest, the theological schools. But 
Implied also is a word about the Christian day schools. The Christian day schools are important as well, as they are extensions of the Christian home in which the covenant children and covenant youth are instructed in the word of God so that they may be lively participants in the worship of the church. The Christian day school is connected with Sabbath rest as well. And thus in the support and in the maintenance of our good Christian schools, we also honor the fourth commandment. Here we see something of the catechism's reflection of the unique reformed conception of the Christian school. The good Christian school is an aspect of the communion of the saints. Now understand, that's not saying it's a parochial school run or overseen by the church. It's not. The good Christian school is an institution established and overseen by the parents. It's an extension of the home. But those parents are a part of the covenant community. The parents band together. To educate and train their children as a body. And here that togetherness of the church comes out in a beautiful way. Together as a body, we train and educate our children in the good Christian schools. Parents not having in mind just the well-being of their own children, but the well-being of all the children of the church. The Reformed conception of the Christian day school is that it is a covenant community effort. There's togetherness. And this is one way that togetherness characterizes the life of God's people, not just when they're in the sanctuary, but throughout the six days of the week. Covenantal togetherness. So let us be encouraged by that in the support, the maintenance, and the use of our good Christian schools. These institutions are conducive to the upbuilding of the body of Christ. There is a covenantal togetherness that comes out in the maintenance of these schools. They are a blessing of God. And so in this way, and in the other ways already mentioned, live out the Sabbath rest that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Let's do so gratefully. The Sabbath is a gift. That's where we started last week. The Sabbath is a gift. The worship of the Sabbath day is a gift. It's a gift from Christ. It's a blessing, a privilege to rest in this way on the Sabbath day. Let us do so from the heart with joy. Amen. Our faithful God and our heavenly Father, we thank thee for the Sabbath As we now have looked at what it is and how thou dost call us to keep it, work in our hearts a desire to diligently frequent thy house, to participate in the life of the church, that we may rest well on the Sabbath. And may that rest be carried forward into the week ahead, that we may rest each day from our sins, rest in Christ, and gratefully serve thee in our callings. This we ask in his name alone. Amen.